Thank you for listening and welcome to the Life Radio Show, a proud member of the SJ Network and Realm of the Mist Entertainment. I'm your host, Don Smith. This past week, I talked on the phone with former child actor John Iman. He was on a lot of shows in the 60s and 70s, then he went on to more exciting things like knife fights on fishing boats. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter, or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org. The brutal presence overwhelms me. The brutal presence. The Life Radio Show is now brought to you in part by the Nurses Guild of Florida, experts in home health care. Go to thenursesguild.com for more information. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner. All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are not on Zoom today, which is which is kind of nice. It's nice to be free from the, the Zoom yoke, but uh, we, we are on the phone. So if there's a buzzing in the background, we can blame Verizon Wireless because why not? They're Verizon Wireless. Let's blame them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll blame them for lost votes at this point. We'll we'll blame for whatever. But hey, this is a chance to take a break from election day coverage that has turned into election week coverage and listen to something almost as silly. We <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we have uh, uh, John Iman. You just told me it, and it just blank. John Iman on the on yeah. the uh, phone with us. How's it going, sir? Oh, very good. Thanks a lot. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, it's it's good to talk to you. And you were a child actor back in the day, and I want to I want to talk about that a little bit because you were a child actor back in the day, and you're you're not making a call from prison. So. Yeah, I know. I haven't robbed a liquor store in ages. <laughs> Is there a statute of limitations on when you can? How long after you're a child star that you can do that and be okay? I'm not going to take any chances. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's probably your best bet cause, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so how did you how did you get started as a, as a child actor uh and and it when did you get started uh well uh we moved from uh the south side of chicago back in 1955 i was about five years old and we moved from there to uh downtown la right in the mm. heart of watts and uh at that time so I was about five, five years old. At six, uh, I was in an elementary school in the San Gabriel Valley, and uh, my first grade teacher, her best friend was a Hollywood agent. Oh. And she often stopped by the school, and uh, she often was looking for kids. Uh, she mainly handled uh, child actors. So she saw me, and uh, at that time I had bright, almost embarrassingly bright red hair and uh, <laughs> freckles. <laughs> and she said, oh, boy, that's perfect for commercials or whatever might come along. And so she uh, asked my teacher if she could contact my parents. And uh, my parents were, were fine with it. So uh, I started working in about 1956 at six years old, uh, starting mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, shows that were popular in that era. Of course, uh, Ozzie and Harriet, Lassie, 
Fury, uh, and the very first episode of Leave It to Beaver. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, but as an extra, I was sitting next to uh, the beaver in the classroom scene, and the first episode was Beaver Gets Spelled, meaning expelled. <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> so I was a kid in the classroom for that. But uh, it was, you know, just nice to be in the very first episode of that series. You know, it's such an iconic show. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you were in a lot of other classics, too. So, Oh, definitely, yeah. Uh, so that's how I, in the first couple of years anyway, that's what I was getting. Uh, you know, little extra parts here and there, uh, westerns and uh, shows like, well, Let's see, anything you might know. Uh, well, just uh, some shows, like I said, Ozzy and Harriet, no. uh, Bachelor Father, and, uh, I don't remember and some that others. <laughs> yeah, Bachelor Father was a, a pretty good show. That was John Forsyth. And uh, anyway, it was, you know, popular at the time, and they had guests like Jack Benny and others. But uh, also back at that time, I was getting jobs... Uh, doing some modeling and uh there's one thing that was very iconic was the milk mustache right. i did one of the first milk mustache uh advertisements <laughs> in life magazine nice and that was neat too that was neat too because uh you know even though the cover was uh in color back then uh most of the magazine was not you know in 1959 so uh i had a whole page in color right in the middle uh, with the milk mustache. Yeah, well, well they, they didn't want all that red hair to go to waste. I guess not, <laughs> you know, and, and it was going to waste on a lot of those other shows because, uh, you know, color programming didn't become right. big until some years later. So uh, anyway, yeah, I did a lot of shows. Uh, other ones that are most famous, of course, is Twilight Zone. Yeah. Which is, and, uh, every, everybody knows Twilight Zone. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, in fact, if anybody ever asks me, so you were a kid actor, what kind of shows did you do? I know they're going to know uh, Leave it to Beaver, and they're <laughs> going to know Twilight Zone, if nothing else. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, people know w Wagon Train as well. That That's definitely one that people oh, sure. would know. Yeah, that's... You were... the, the yeah, some of those Westerns were popular, too, uh uh, with with certain people, you know, at, in that era, there were so many of them, and I did a lot of them. Uh, Wagon Train, I did a couple episodes of that, and uh, The Rebel with Nick Adams, and uh, like I said, uh, Fury, and uh, Have Gun, and have have gun, gun will, will Travel. travel yeah, I, well, I, yeah, I have your IMDb the, up here too. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, and and those were good too because I had I was starting to get uh, decent parts by that time by about. Uh, nine or ten years old, I started getting better roles. Yeah, which is which is good. You always hope to progress into that. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, and then finally, uh, well, I had one. Uh, the one that got away was a series uh, we made a pilot for uh, called Doctor Kate, and uh, the star was Jane Wyman, Academy mm. Award-winning actress, and uh, I was playing her son. And uh, the pilot sold, and it was going to be a series. And uh, it would have been a terrific break for me, being on a drama series every week. But at the last minute, she backed out of the deal. Uh, I don't know all the details, except that uh, I think it had something to do with uh, 
the time it was going to be on TV, or it could have been some other contractual issue. But uh, anyway, she backed out of the series, so uh, I missed out on that one. But a couple of years later, I uh, was chosen to be Cadet Monk on a kids' TV series called McKeever and the Colonel. And uh, so I was on that every week, and that, of course, was a, a very big break. Instead of just doing an episode here, an episode right. there of some series, uh, I had a regular part every week on the series. And with that came lots of uh, publicity and uh, and other opportunities, like uh, being in the Santa Claus Lane Parade, you know, uh, sitting on top of the limousine and waving to people and things like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, all all the fun stuff that comes along with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it was uh, it was a big opportunity. After that series ended, after just one year, uh, I was doing some other series work, and uh, also by the time I got to high school, I was uh, playing in garage bands and. Uh, kind of looking at the the possibility of doing more with music, playing either rhythm or lead guitar and singing, and uh, played in a lot of garage bands and uh, and uh, one trio that played a lot of supper club-type gigs in, uh, hmm. in uh, Beverly Hills and uh, around Hollywood. So I had a good time. Right, so, and this would have been, this would have been uh, mid to late 60s, right? That's right. Hey, and, uh, what kind of music yeah. did you play? Uh, well, originally, uh, I was doing more like the rock and roll stuff, uh, kind of not real heavy rock, but uh, rock and roll that was popular at that time, and uh, well-known songs uh, of that time. But uh, this one band I was with, especially, uh, our bass player was related to Don Drysdale of the L.A. Hmm. Dodgers, and so he was setting us up with all these private parties for the... Uh, for the Dodgers and the L.A. Rams, and uh, one in particular was New Year's Eve, and I believe it was New, New Year's Eve 1968, but uh, he had a bar in the San Fernando Valley called Drysdale's Dugout, and he had our band uh, playing that New Year's Eve party, but they had, you know, members of the Dodgers, the Rams, and uh, Sonny and Cher, so nice. we backed up Sonny and Cher on one on I Got You, Babe. It was kind of surreal, but it was a it was a good time. Yeah, that that's because that was definitely in their heyday. So that would have been something right there. That's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and uh, at that time our our band it was it, it was just a so so garage band type thing. But uh, our our drummer was uh, Ed Begley Jr who became famous, you know, oh, later no on. Kidding. The, the <laughs> and we were best friends. We've always been best friends since we were about 17. We were in uh, theater arts together at LA Valley college. And we started there at the same time, both just turning 18. And, uh, we did the band thing together. I used to go around with him, uh, when he was starting out, uh, trying to do stand up comedy. Hmm. And, uh, so I'd go around with him and, Wait and uh, be in the audience and kind of check to see the reactions of the audience to the jokes he was doing and stuff. Right, and, that, that's uh, helpful to have. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean it was fun for me too. But uh, yeah. so yeah, we're still in touch, and uh, we're just a couple of couple of weeks apart in age. So that's good. He's of course still down in L.A. and still working quite a bit, but uh, right. I'm way up here in. Uh, you know, north of Seattle, but I don't like it up here. I'm super uh, 
fair and in the sense that I'm really white. And uh, so <laughs> yeah. growing up yeah. in L.A., I was burnt all the time. And uh, I figured, well, if I can't get a tan, I don't want anybody else to get one either. So I chose Seattle. You know, there, where, yeah, where you don't have to worry about that pesky sun. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. That's so, a wise uh, decision right there. <laughs> yeah, it, it saved me some uh, polyps or whatever I did. <laughs> Now you you it, look, it looks like you stopped acting in like '67, right? It, uh, you just it, uh, well a little bit later. Uh, okay, I went up to about '69, and then uh, when I was about 19, I did one show, and it was a case where the roles just weren't coming in, and mm. I was constantly having to drop everything I was doing, go to a studio, uh, either read for a part or or uh, you know, audition for something, and I'd have to drop everything I was doing. I couldn't hold a regular job. I was right. no longer living at home, so uh, it got to be really tough that way. And finally, the last thing I did was uh, Love American Style. Oh, okay. Which was, <laughs> and uh, it was, in fact, it was the very first episode of that series, too. And uh, I had a really small part. And after all those years of acting, I thought, man, you know, it's like going backwards. It, to me, it felt like, I don't know if you ever remember remember that movie, Charlie. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I've was, probably uh, seen it before. <laughs> yeah, it was Cliff Robertson. But anyway, uh, the whole point of the movie was he eventually went back to the basics and, uh, it, it just wasn't a very fun thing to have to do. I was, you know, partly ego, though, too, you know, after right. working so many years to suddenly be back to really tiny parts. Right, like so everything thought, dried well, up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's... I can understand that. Uh-huh, and uh, I didn't see much hope in sight, so I started just... Uh, well, I was playing in the band, so at least I had that uh, that one way to be somewhat of a ham you know i can right, still be right. in front of people and uh and sing and play guitar and and uh you know get around to the different places where people were having parties and all that and you know when you're 18 19 20 that's exactly what you want to do oh absolutely i was, <laughs> I, I was in a band or two myself in my my late teens oh, early yeah? 20s oh. oh yeah we were terrible yeah. <laughs> heavy metal well, at that. Just know, it was that good, good eighties really. heavy metal music. So, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So, I, in fact, before I uh, before I got more into it, when I was about sixteen or seventeen, I was with a different uh, garage type band, and our uh, our drummer at that time was uh, Stan Fafara. He was Whitey on Leave It to Beaver. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so you know, we grew up together too, and. Uh, we were doing lots of different gigs around town, but finally one day, one one day, my agent called me up and said, "Hey, you want to do a commercial with your band?" And I said, "Wow, that's great!" So we went over and uh, and uh, had an audition for it, and uh, we got the gig. But uh, unfortunately for Stan, our drummer would be Tony the Tiger. 
so what? he lost he lost out on the uh, residuals on that. We had a a cartoon character for our drummer. Oh, and, that's uh, a that's a that's a bummer. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but mercifully for the world, uh, we weren't really singing or playing on it. They had some other band playing, but uh, we were there with our instruments moving around and. Uh, <laughs> Now, was, was, to, was Tony the Tiger a decent drummer? That's what I... <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good. You know, was, a little bit okay. flaky, but they, all yeah. the drummers are flaky. Well, yeah, they, they like Sugar to be Paul showy and a little little flamboyant <laughs> and showy every now and then. That's, that's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was okay. He was an okay guy. Okay, well, that, that's good. That's good. <laughs> you said something yeah. about having studied theater arts. Did you do, did, did you do some theater acting? Uh, I tried. But, you know, after years of being a child actor, and I was doing mostly TV stuff, and uh, not very seriously, uh, I got into Valley College, like I said, and the theater arts department there, and that was kind of a wake-up call for me, because I realized, I looked around me at the talent that was there back in 1967, 68, and uh, man, so many, and this wasn't Juilliard, this is just a L.A. Valley Junior College, you know, right. but so many talented people. I couldn't get a, Ed Begley was there, Michael Richards, Kramer, right, and uh, and uh, some others. I mean, just really talented people. And I thought, boy, this is my adult competition. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of made me think, yeah, they're not going to, you know, their expectations game goes up quite a bit when you. Uh, when you reach that age, yeah, that's. It. I think it was a lot more. It was a lot more difficult to get in back then as well. Yeah, oh, definitely true. Also, I wasn't. I I didn't have a very good agent by that time. You know, as uh, some of the roles started drying up, I had to go from one agent to another, and the last one I had was sending me out on almost anything that came up, whether it was appropriate or not, uh. including, <laughs> like I said, how white I am. He sent me out on a copper tone tan commercial <laughs> and, uh, you know, I had to drop everything, get over there. I said, what am I the before? You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, you know, I kind of reached the point where I realized, well, I can't see being able to make a living like this. And, Right. And uh, came from a family that uh, wasn't exactly well off, and by the time I was 18, I was off on my own, trying to make a living, uh, doing little side jobs, and the and the occasional acting or or playing with the band somewhere. But uh, yeah. it was harder and harder to make a living. Oh yeah, it's it's definitely a just definitely seems like it'd be a very difficult thing to do. It, it is now, but I mean back then even more so, I would think, because it was a lot more limited. It oh. was, and not only that, we didn't know cell phones, yeah. no internet. Uh, you're chained to your telephone. You have to be ready at any time for the phone to ring and be off to some studio yeah. uh, for an interview. You know, yeah, it makes it makes it really difficult to to keep a job where you can actually survive. So that's definitely. Yeah, I I went the other way. I started off with the job, and now that I've got a now that I've got the job, I do my acting on weekends. <laughs> oh, perfect! Uh, what kind of acting are you doing? Uh, mostly film now. I used to do some theater, but it's been a while. I, I actually really miss theater. That was my first love. Was theater in my huh? mid twenties is when I actually started doing that, and uh, wow. having, having had no experience. 
I went into uh, Dayton Theater Guild in my mid twenties and auditioned out of the blue and ended up getting a couple parts. So, <laughs> oh great! So yeah, yeah and I, I, it just the acting bug bit me then. It's just I didn't with work and everything. I didn't have a lot of time to to be out doing it. So yeah, but uh, as long as you got something straight, you know, it's like they say, don't quit your day job. It's like if you have right. some kind of income that's a that's a good thing i was really in a in a tight spot there for a while just trying to make ends meet and uh you know at uh about 24 i met uh through a friend of mine i met uh a girl and we started dating and uh he's my best friend set us up on a uh double date anyway uh she was from japan and studying english in la and uh, she went back to Japan, and I followed her over there about a month later and oh, wow. uh, ended up being in Japan for 10 years. <laughs> oh, for 10 years. I, yeah, I taught English over there for 10 years, and uh, on weekends I was playing uh, some little clubs, uh, just solo guitar stuff, uh, you know, mainly more of the folksy stuff like uh, 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 John Denver and uh, right. James Taylor, that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I had a regular weekly gig for most of the 10 years I was there and teaching full-time at a school. So, uh, you know, both of my kids were born over there and, uh, you know, it was a complete departure from where I'd been. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine it was probably, it was probably an adjustment coming back too. <laughs> you know, that was a big deal because, uh, I thought that those 10 years in Japan were going to be a big help for me finding work back in the United States because I'd learned Japanese and it came back and uh, it didn't help hardly at all. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it was kind of a plus if you could speak some Japanese maybe in some situations, but it, not as the main thing. I wasn't going to be going to the UN or anything. Right. So uh, uh, I had a tough time readjusting. Uh, well, the toughest was, uh, and we moved to Seattle where I'd never been before. I'd never even been to Seattle before, but uh, heard that it was a good place to raise kids, and I wasn't that interested in going back to L.A., so uh, we really started from scratch back in uh, 1985. Oh, so mid-80s is when you came back, and that's... Yeah. Yeah, it would... Uh... I'm I'm trying to think. It would, it probably was a little rougher to find work back then, anyway, because the '80s I remember yeah. it being a little rough. <laughs> yeah, and I tried doing sales, and uh, I'm not the type. I I don't want to be a closer. I don't want to upsell or any of that stuff. Right. And uh, I tried it for a while, and then uh, I had an opportunity. Again, this is where the Japanese came in handy. Uh, I got an offer to be an interpreter liaison on the fishing boats up in Alaska. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for a year, I went up three months at a time to uh, the Bering Sea, and uh, I had three-month contracts, and I would work on the uh, catcher processors, uh, interpreter liaison, but it meant really, too, that I had to work in every position on the on the boat. So right. in amending nets, heading and gutting fish, packaging, uh, working up in the wheelhouse with the captain, uh, and kind of going between the Japanese uh, technical advisors and the American crew and uh, breaking up fights. And everybody had <laughs> knives for heading and gutting the fish, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're spending three months on a fishing boat. It was three months at a time out on the water. Yes. 
Oh, that yeah, oh, that yeah. had to have been a little bit of, a little bit rough. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, I wasn't really the kind for it either. It's like, uh, it, again, it was just a complete departure from where I'd been before. Yeah, it sounds like it. yeah. <laughs> it's not not a lot of people get that experience anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I figured if I'm you know if I'm going to smell like fish, I might as well drink like them too. So I uh, I go. got into drinking a lot up in Alaska and uh, some pretty rough and tumble bars. And once again, that's basically not my nature, but uh, it was a pretty uh, rough and tumble place. Yeah, that would have would have had to been. How long did you do that for? I did it for a year, three months at a time, and uh, I would come back to Seattle for a few weeks and then go up on another three-month stretch. Oh, and, of wow. course, the money was great, uh, but I, I had small kids at the time, and yeah. uh, it was tough on the family. You know, it was uh, kind of breaking us up that way. So uh, after a year of that, after three you know, three months trips up there, I said, well, I'm going to have to find something on dry land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, something did. not quite as rough, probably. Though. Exactly. Yeah. So I got a job with a law firm, uh, working basically a, a desk job in uh-huh. a law firm. So you still had to break up the occasional knife fight. <laughs> yeah. 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 With the sharks, those lawyers can be tough. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> And then after that, I was there about six years. And then, uh, again, a case where the Japanese came in handy was uh, I got an offer to uh, work for Northwest Airlines. Hmm. So I became a flight attendant with okay. Northwest and flying to uh, Japan like four times a week, uh, a month rather. <laughs> right. And uh, and uh, back to the areas where I used to be. And I'd uh, make announcements in Japanese or translate when the uh, captain made some announcement, cha- uh, translated into Japanese for the Japanese customers, that sort of thing. But you definitely got to experience a lot of life, that's for sure. That's... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I just retired uh, August 1st after about 25 years of that. And oh. uh, it was a great career. It was uh, great. I just uh, turned 71 recently. Yeah, well, happy birthday and congratulations on the retirement. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, but uh, I don't want to change caps again. I don't want to do another career. I, I think I've right. Had it. <laughs> right now, well, now that you're retired, would you want to try acting again? Kind of t- dip your toe in, do some do some local uh, stuff, or like a second ho- second childhood actor, huh? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> But uh, I don't think so, but I would like to do more with my music now. I uh, do a lot of recording here at home and uh, write songs. You know, it's uh, something I've enjoyed for many years. So I write songs, uh, put them up on YouTube. I've got a bunch of stuff up there. And uh, What's your YouTube YouTube channel? I'll have to check it out. uh, John Iman. Okay. Uh And I've got a lot of, uh, not only songs, but I've got a little snippets from different shows i was on as well up nice. on that yeah i'll, I'll, have, and, to, I'll uh, have to check some of your songs out for sure okay <laughs> yeah don't don't expect too much but i i have a good time <laughs> that, well that's the that's the important part in any any creative process you have to enjoy what you do absolutely yeah yeah, it's it's like this thing. I enjoy this, or I wouldn't be doing it. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's a great. What a great thing to do, though. 
Yeah, well, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot. Of, I didn't realize I would enjoy it as much as I do, but I mean, this 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 show is always something I can I can be having a really lousy day, but when I come in, I get the microphones on. I could not at all feel like doing it, but once once I get a good conversation going, it's just it's so much fun. It's invigorating to me. Yeah, how long have you been at it? Uh, I started out on a, a live radio show uh, about six years ago, and then I turned uh, that into a podcast about four years ago. So with I, it still goes out over the radio station, but uh, with COVID, everything's recorded in a different way now. <laughs> Oh, I'm uh, sure, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, but, well, this is one of those things you can do uh, without human contact, I guess. That, that's that's true. That's true. That's uh, it, it, get get the call in guests and the Zoom guests, and you you can still keep it rolling, which is which is fun. It, you know. It, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's not really a source of income; just another creative outlet. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Because I because I yeah, still I have the it. I still have the day job so. Oh, do you? Yeah, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I didn't real I didn't want to retire, but uh, you know, I just like I said, I just turned seventy one recently, and uh, and when all this stuff started happening in March, uh, and I'm flying, you know, around the U.S. Uh, and the COVID thing started, and I thought, well. Maybe, maybe it's time to start thinking about uh, getting out of this business because there's right. too much human contact. You know, when you're a flight attendant, and uh, yeah, well, and I would imagine, well, yeah, you're in a little enclosed space <laughs> with a bunch of other yes. people, and I'd imagine that a lot of the international flights would have stopped altogether for a while. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was uh, I was back to doing a lot of the domestic flying, which you know I I used to like a lot too. Uh, my first 10 years, I was based in Detroit, and I would okay. have to fly from Seattle to Detroit the night before, and then I'd do my trips out of uh, Detroit uh, on smaller aircraft, doing uh, flights to Canada and all, all little towns across the U.S., and I, I had a ball doing it. But now, uh, what, what airline was it again? Uh, it was Northwest. And, okay, uh, I used to fly after... Northwest all the time. We might have bumped into each other before. Uh, <laughs> you may have. I hope I gave you an extra cookie or something. <laughs> <laughs> the pro- probably. But, uh, That's where all this extra weight came from. It's just that cookie. Yeah, <laughs> that, that explains it. But uh, I had a great time, 10 years, and then finally I was uh, able to get based in Seattle, where I lived, so I didn't have to be you know, commuting back and forth all right. the time like that. Yeah, it all depends but, uh, on where I, that airline's hub is, I think, because it's, I know yeah. Detroit was a big hub for a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, uh, Northwest and Delta merged, so uh, at that point, uh, I was lucky, I was already in the Seattle base, so yeah. that that was a good thing. Yeah, Awesome. Well, I think we're going to take a short break, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and get this set up for radio play. We'll take a short break, and uh, when we come back with with John Iman, we'll we'll talk about some uh, really uh, whatever kind of weird news stories I can find. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Life Radio Show. We will be right back. Hey. So, so people, people are asking, hey, how do I... How do I get more motivated 
and 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 to do so how do I become more inspired to be um, do uh, cool things well the secret to uh, inspiration is you just you know you just you just be uh, you just be uh, more uh, inspired about you know just just get like hey I'm motivated and then you'll and then your and then your body go oh well I guess we're motivated. Okay, we're motivated now. And then you'll be more motivated. So just wake up and go, hey, I feel inspired and motivated. And then you'll, you know, that's how you do it. So go be motivated and stuff. Steps on hot cement I don't know where he went But he left In a hurry He's saying something about A mission of mercy Mama Hasn't been sleeping well at all As she lies stretched out in the hall Waiting for him Of his mission still isn't quite clear. He had a different angle than what it would appear. Now, I don't know where he went, but he left in such a hurry. He's saying something about a mission of mercy. Mama hasn't been sleeping. She lies stretched out in the hall Waiting for him to call us Please someday At least you could explain Call us please someday Oh, I never knew Mercy could feel this way Feel the
You served your country with honor and now are trying to pry health care from the Veterans Administration. Did you know that Congress recently made changes to allow vets to get care outside of the VA services? The Nurses Guild of Florida is owned and operated by a Vietnam-era vet who knows how difficult it is to return to civilian life. Why not get your home health services from a five-star Medicare home health agency, the experts at home care, the Nurses Guild? Rather than wait in lines for care, the Nurses Guild will provide care to you in the comfort of your own home. PTSD, IV therapy, wound care, or post-amputation therapy, no matter your diagnosis, we can help. A nurse will be assigned to you, visit you at home to assess your needs, and work directly with you to develop a personalized plan of care. Here at the Nurses Guild, we have nurses from every specialty, so no matter your diagnosis, we have the right caregiver for you. The nurses, therapists, and home health team of the Nurses Guild is ready to serve you. All of our essential health care workers are fully screened, supervised, and COVID tested. Call the Nurses Guild today to arrange your home health visit at 954-596-9806 for Broward County and 561-826-8937 for Palm Beach County. Remember, health care put off is health care too late. Stay safe during the pandemic. Wear a mask and insist those around you wear a mask. Wash your hands frequently and stay home as much as possible. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. I'm Michael, the host of the semi-monthly podcast, In a City Like Yours. Join me as I chat with interesting people with interesting life stories. You can listen to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can follow us on Twitter at IACLYS Podcast, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at In a City Like Yours Podcast. Please feel free to let me know what you think. And keep coming back for the many interesting stories in a city like yours. I'm ready to get old. I am. You know why? I grew up with an Atari 2600. Yeah, that's right. One of the joysticks on that. Same joystick on a hover-around scooter. All right. Hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are on the phone today with uh, with John Iman, uh, a child actor, uh, shrimp boat flight breaker upper or fishing boat, uh, Alaskan fishing boat, uh, <laughs> uh, musician, uh, flight attendant, a little bit of everything, globe trotter, trotter, world traveler. We're, we're <laughs> you doing all right? Oh, doing great! Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I bumped my phone. Now it's going to complain to me again. 
Oh. Yeah, that's that's what happens. I, everything was fine, and I bumped my phone. I think <laughs> we were oh. we were we were doing so well, but as usual, oh, see, yeah. see, I, I I made the comment that everything's sounding good, and then then I did it. All right. Well, <laughs> are we ready to hit some news stories and find out what's going on in this world? Oh, sure. All right. Well, first, we're going to, I know this is going to upset everybody, but we are going to have some election coverage on the show here. Uh, in the midst of all the uncertainty surrounding the 2020 election, one bright spot emerged on Tuesday as Wilmer, a French bulldog, won mayorship of Rabbit Hash, a tiny community in Kentucky's Boone County. Uh, the jury's still out on. <laughs> On Wilbur's pilot, what Wilbur's policies are going to be, uh, but the handsome pup was uh, the popular choice, claiming 13,143 out of 22,985 votes in a new record. According to local reports, he will be, be replacing Mayor Brenneth Paltrow. <laughs> oh, sorry, pa- Paltrow. Bre- Brenneth Paltrow, a pit bull who has dutifully served since 2017. So apparently they've got it figured out in this small Kentucky town where they're just going to name a dog as mayor. That would be <laughs> uh, Wilbur's closest opponents were Jack Rabbit, a beagle, <laughs> and Poppy, a golden retriever. A Lady Stone, a border collie that serves as an amb- ambassador of the town, will be keeping her position and announce news of Wilbur's win on her Facebook page. Uh, the Frenchie has his own Facebook page as well, showing images of his hard-won campaign to become mayor of the most magical place on earth. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> that's a, congratulations that's a, are in order. Huh? Exactly, exactly. I want. I wonder what the other one's concession howls sounded like. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, what? But just. Oh, my computer's making noise. Everything decided to make noise now. I'm just <laughs> Maybe that was that was that that was the Beagles concession howl right there. That's all that was firing up go. for the Yeah, <laughs> since I asked about it, we're going to go ahead and have it fi- fired up here. All yeah. right, here this, this as a uh, as a former fishing boat uh <laughs> uh liaison uh two whale watchers in california got more than the full experience when their kayak was capsized by a breaching humpback humpback whale in astonishing footage of the incident taken by several witnesses the kayak is thrust into the air as the whale breaches the surface with its mouth wide open julie mcsorley and her friend liz cotrail cotrail i don't know uh both of san luis obispo uh, were kayaking off the coast of Avila Beach, watching whales about 30 feet from them when they were surprised by the encounter, uh, according to Fox 26 News. I'm sure they were very surprised by it. <laughs> yeah. I like how they have to specify that they were surprised by almost getting yeah. swi- swallowed by a whale. That's uh, That would definitely shock me a little bit. I mean, I'm... I wonder I, if they I, ran into Pinocchio and Geppetto. And- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. yep, everybody knows you got to tickle its throat and it'll just throw you right up. That's or, or light a fire, light a fire. I, there are there are several different means of escape if swallowed by a whale, okay. and you just always have to you have to carry your 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 flint and steel and just strike that fire up just in case. It, although it's 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 hard to find good dry tender while you're mm-hmm. while you're inside of a whale. I don't know. I mean, I've. I've not been, but I'm assuming. I'm assuming it would be a little difficult to find something with which to start a fire. 
Yeah, I've heard tell. <laughs> Even if you were fortunate enough to, to have your flint and steel with you, it would still be a little tricky. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, what else do we have here? Oh, this is, uh, this is something I've been planning to do around the house. Uh, the Orange County Fairgrounds in California is addressing its weed problem by employing some unusual landscapers, a herd of goats, and their guardian donkey. <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, county, county officials said the area around the fairgrounds Pacific Amphitheater uh, is being grazed on by a herd of about 18 Angora goats and a miniature donkey on loan from Eureka Mohair Farm in Tollhouse, California. Uh, the, goats are oh, wow. getting, yeah, the goats are getting rid of unwanted vegetation around the amphitheater while also breaking up the soil and provort, providing for, fertilizer for future planting. That's, that's thinking uh. right there. That's... And there you are. Yeah, when you said weeds, I thought you were talking like Cheech and Chong were <laughs> getting a new job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I've never seen a herd of goats and a don- and a guardian donkey high before. I've seen. <laughs> you might not want to either. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. I don't. Know, I don't know what they do, but it'd be kind of crazy. I guess it depends on what they smoke because they have all these. From what I've been told, they have all these different strains now that can do different things oh, to you yeah. so you don't know exactly what you're getting that's that's what and that's what would make me nervous about it you don't yeah. know oh definitely and you really don't know how it's effect, going to affect an entire herd of goats no it might make them mellow but it might not you know it, right it it might do <laughs> it might just do all kinds of weird things <laughs> <laughs> might just get the munchies you never know right which then they're just there's just more weeds gone that way that's right. <laughs> See, that's that's what I've always worried about the the concept of edibles, edible marijuana yeah. products. Is that you know you get the munchies and you just eat more of them. Yeah. <laughs> just it it all sounds yeah. yeah it all sounds like a just just a, a recipe for disaster right there. Yeah, well, I heard one enterprising Girl Scout uh, set up her cookie booth right outside one of those uh, weed uh, weed the, shops. Yeah, the dispensary. I heard about that, and that is brilliant. Thinking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah a real entrepreneur there. Oh yeah, oh, she she is going places. I I think when I read about that, they actually somebody made her move because of that, and it's like, well, that's dumb. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's yeah. just smart. That's she's yeah she she's too smart to be working for the girl count Girl Scout. She should have her own cookies. <laughs> she should have her own cookie company out there, and she would make billions. Yeah, well, maybe she grew up to do that. Who knows? Yep, it could be. It could be. We'll we'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to do some research and report back later, and just to just to see if I can find where she is now. It'll be a whole. It'll be a whole episode of the show where we just do. <laughs> we report on on where she is and what she's doing. There you are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, police in the Czech Republic said they issued a warning to a man caught violating curfew and attempting to disguise his actions by walking a stuffed toy dog on a leash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. A news crew from the Czech television events of South Bohemia show were accompanying patrolling officers uh, in uh, Seske Budajevis. I have no way I said that right. When the officer stopped a man uh, caught walking in a public area after, after the 9 p.m. curfew, which is imposed amid the COVID-19 pandemic, the man initially claimed uh. to be out walking his dog, an activity that is permitted after curfew hours, but police quickly determined the object at the end of the leash was actually a stuffed toy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did he kick it down the street or what? 
<laughs> I would hope it was on wheels or something. That way, otherwise, yeah, it just you're just so. dragging it. Uh, the man then yeah. claimed he this that his walk was an artistic, practical joke, and was released with just a warning. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, j- just got yeah. a warning for walking his stuff, <laughs> walking his stuff, yeah. dog. What was what was that old TV show? Was it soap. Soap. Oh, uh, yeah. soap where, where the 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 old uh, the old veteran the old uh, was a colonel or whatever had the stuffed uh, the stuffed dog on a leash that he would try to get to go up the <laughs> stairs. Yeah, that was <laughs> <laughs> kind of what that reminds me of. There, I don't think it worked out too well for for him either. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, what else do we have here? Oh, this is uh, somebody has an alarm parrot. Hey. <laughs> A pet parrot has saved the li- uh, his owner's life by after alerting him to a fire that had broken out in his Queensland home. An Australian man is cr- okay. But why did that? I guess that was. That's uh, weird. It's weird how they have this new site set up. See, th- this is proof that I pull these up as I'm going because things yeah. just jumped around all over the page. An Australian man is crediting his pet parrot with saving his life after the bird shouted out his name and alerted him to a house fire. Anton Nguyen uh, of Brisbane, uh, uh, Queensland, said he was asleep early Tuesday when he heard a noise followed by his parrot, Eric, calling out his name. I heard a a bang, and Eric, my parrot, uh, he started to yell, so I woke up and smelled a bit of smoke, he told the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, Nguyen uh, said the early... The early warning from Eric allowed him to collect his pets and exit the house before the smoke detectors went off. So that's well, good. He, good. He got all of his liked pets. Him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, could uh, if he didn't like him, he could have started doing "Go to sleep, go to sleep." Right. Well, I think it was self-preservation because uh, if Eric yeah. was in a cage, you know, he, he'd have been gone too. So yeah, that was self-preservation. That's true. <laughs> at first he thought maybe i shouldn't and he's like wait i'm not going to be able to get out of here am i <laughs> yeah. that's the way yeah <laughs> yeah so that that did it did burn his house i said i grabbed eric opened the door and looked out the back of the house and saw some flames uh and I, so I, I i grabbed my bag and took off and bolted downstairs that's good he bolted that's good <laughs> With the, the parrot, I hope. With the parrot, yes. He, he said he grabbed with Eric. See, the originally oh, it yeah. said he he grabbed his pets, plural, yeah. and now it just yeah, now it's just uh, he just has the bird. So uh, yeah, I I hope if he had other pets, I hope they all made it out as well. But oh yeah, seems for a second it seems like he was only interested in the bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did save his life, you know. That's true. That's true. That's. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, the other the other pets are are kind of just sub pets at this point. They're they're not they're not quite to the level of Eric, the firefighting parrot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm going to write down Eric, the firefighting parrot, just because That's that may that that may be a uh, possible episode title for us. Since we we oh, haven't definitely. we haven't come up with an episode title yet, and that's a, usually I have to do that during the show. It's it's kind of a rule; doesn't always happen, but yeah. you know, like most of my show, <laughs> like most of my show, the rules are more like guidelines. They're not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, suggestions. Yeah, just 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 mild suggestions. Feel free to ignore them. We're good. 
Actually, that's true. I, the, this show is just a free-for-all. Uh, authorities in Indiana said that an overturned semi-truck spilled cases of beer across lanes of a highway in Dearborn County. Uh, the Dearborn County Sheriff's Office uh, uh, said the truck overturned Wednesday in the westbound lanes of US 50 in Dillsboro. Uh, the Sheriff's Office posted a photo to Facebook showing the truck and it spilled loads of uh, after the mess was cleared away from the roadway. They didn't want to post it before because there would have been a lot of people out there picking up some free beer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, no serious injuries were reported in connection with the crash. That means none of the cans were really that badly damaged. Uh, Which, yeah, that's not true because I'm I'm looking at the picture and it's just that there are cases and cases and cases of beer just strewn out behind this thing, and I know some of them had to explode, and that's uh, just that's just heartbreaking. <laughs> oh, it is. Isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, well. Drinking and driving my, uh, don't mix, and that's that's for that's sure. That's true. <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories was about the guy who worked in the brewery, and uh, one day he's working in the brewery and he fell in, and uh, died. And it, they brought his wife down there to the brewery, and and uh, she's trying to find some consolation. Well, she says to the guy's boss, so, "Well, at least I'm sure he died pretty fast." And the boss said, no, he got out twice to take a leak. <laughs> <laughs> yep, he died doing what he loved, I think, is what's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's uh, the, the, what was the Strange Brew. That was a good Bob and Doug Strange McKenzie Brew. movie where they get locked in the beer in the beer vat and he drinks all yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, great, great movie. I haven't seen that in forever. Mm. <laughs> Okay, let me see what else we have here. Oh, we'll 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 talk about Twinkies. <laughs> oh, yeah, a box of Twinkies left alone for eight years held some surprises for Colin Purrington, which Colin Purrington. If I ever have a cat, I'm gonna name I'm gonna name it Colin Purrington. <laughs> <laughs> upon having Pretty a sugar <laughs> upon having a sugar craving combined with just being bored with the pandemic purrington opened a box a few years ago uh, like many people purrington believe twinkies are basically immortal although the office shelf life is for the official shelf life is 45 days he removed a twinkie from the box unwrapped it it looked fine and he took a bite then he retched and thus the illusion was crushed uh, uh, but some cool science lay ahead. NPR's uh, Nell Greenfield Boyce told the told talked to Purrington and explained the uh, uh, to Shortwave uh, how two scientists got involved and started unraveling uh, the mystery of the mummified Twinkie. That's yeah. That's that's weird. There's yeah. I I I always thought I always believed that Twinkies could pretty much last forever. But that's what I'd heard as well. That is apparently not the case, as young Mister Purrington <laughs> discovered. Yeah. Quite, quite shockingly, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is there such a thing as a fresh Twinkie? I doubt I it. I doubt it. Yeah, you go to pick your Twinkies up directly from the factory. <laughs> yeah, fresh baked Twinkies. Right off the that's tree. Yeah, picking them right off the old Twinkie tree. That's that's the best way to do it, right there. Right, right next to the boneless chicken ranch. Right, right, right. Which is they're very, they're fairly inactive. You know, they just <laughs> yeah, pretty laid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah just 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 kind of hang out. You know. <laughs> Uh, 
Spe- speaking of boneless meat, uh, the European Parliament came together Friday on a uh, to vote on a variety of issues, including whether a veggie burger is a burger. Uh, farmer lobbyists argued no. Environmentalists said yes. And Parliament said yes, too, in a decisive vote against a measure that would ban plant-based meat alternatives from being referred to by the name of their meat counterparts. This means terms like steak, sausage, and burger. Uh, reason prevailed and climate centers lost. <laughs> climate uh. climate centers. <laughs> Uh, According to a member of European Parliament uh, uh, tweeted following the vote, uh, Nikolaj Vilomsen is his name that that calls us climate climate centers, which cracks me up. Uh, It's worth (laughs) celebrating with a veggie burger. (laughs) It's just common sense, according to Camille Perrin, the senior food policy officer at the European Consumer Organization. Senior food policy officer. That sounds. Wow. That sounds it's a good like job a yeah. If you can get it, huh? Yeah, that you don't really have to do a lot. What's the food policy? Call it a burger. I don't care. I don't care. She said in a statement that com- consumers are in no way confused by soy steak or chickpea-based sausage. That confuses the hell out of me, to be quite honest. I'm not <laughs> a chickpea-based sausage. Uh, yeah, oh, that's <laughs> no thanks. Yeah, you can, I'll, you can I'll, have mine. <laughs> I, I will pass on that. I've tried turkey sausage before. It's okay, yeah. but it's still a meat. Uh, soy yeah. steak. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> no. But that's the first time I've ever heard of chickpea-based sausage. Hmm. That's yeah. That's that's a different one. Too bad it's not the last time, huh? <laughs> Pro- probably won't be the last time. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the Impossible Burger. That's the highly unlikely sausage is what that is. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know about Impossible Burgers until uh, I had a layover in L.A. a couple of years back, and it, I didn't even realize what that meant. <laughs> Oh, see, no, see, the, well, there you go. As a consumer, you should let Camille Perrin know that you were, in fact, confused because you didn't know what Impossible Burger meant. Yeah. And in a world of very descriptive terms for food, you don't know. That's right. <laughs> Impossible sounds a lot better than disgusting or uh, <laughs> no thank you. <laughs> so, so you tried the Impossible Burger. How, was it any good? You know... I noticed right away it just uh, wasn't what I expected. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it meat. wasn't meat-like yeah. to me. Yeah, I, I have not tried one, and I probably won't. I, I'm not. Yeah. You know, it, it's not nothing against anybody's uh, plant-based foods. Um, no. I I'm just I'm good with meat. I'm okay. I will remain a uh, climate center. <laughs> yeah, there you go. As, as long well, as as long as the world will allow it. That's right. There's, there's always confession, you know, right. you can get past it. <laughs> right. yeah, bless, bless me, Father, I am a, con, a climate center. <laughs> I have climate sinned. <laughs> yeah, it has been two and a half years since my last Impossible Burger. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's, uh, that's only a confession that you can give to the Flying Spaghetti Monster, actually. It has to be food-based. Yeah. It has to be a food-based <laughs> Lord and Savior in order to be forgiven. There you go. <laughs> I'm going to write down a food-based Lord and Savior. I don't know why. 
<laughs> that that may also be a, a potential episode title. There you are. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, somebody's messaging me on my phone, so I'm going to give them hell when I get off here for for interrupting my show with a couple of beeps because I'm sure it shows up. But uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it'll show up in the recording. You'll just hear this beep beep for no reason. And uh, I I might put a little snippet in there at the end as to who it was and what I said to him. Of course, probably clean it up, <laughs> clean it up for the radio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what I usually do right here is I give you a couple minutes. If you have any social media anywhere you want to be followed, anything you want to share, of course, uh, you can your your YouTube page again for some of your music. I'm going to give you some time right now to do that. If there's anything you have, go right ahead. Oh, well, you know, uh, lots of songs and, uh, like I said, snippets of different TV shows I was on. I've got a lot of videos up on YouTube under John Iman, E-I-M-E-N. And uh, in addition to that, of course, uh, good old Facebook. I'm there under John Allen Iman, A-L-A-N, John Allen Iman. And uh, I put up a lot of photo albums and things uh, from my acting career and uh and some other stuff like that. Uh, and that's about it. I uh, just, uh, you know, maintaining a low profile since 1956. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, not a lot of social media influence in the 50s then, is what. No, no. <laughs> not a lot. And, Fa uh, Facebook wasn't quite up and going. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. So uh, just kind of stay below the radar for the most point. Yeah, that's, that's, that's. Can be a good thing to do. I, I wish I could do that from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I really appreciate talking to you. It's it's been great getting to know you, John. Thanks so much for for calling into the show. Oh, thank you. It's been a lot of fun. Awesome. And thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show. Like I keep telling you guys, if you're going to keep listening to me, I'm just going to have to keep making these. All right, you guys have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Life Radio Show podcast. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, if you want to listen live, we are on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU 106.9 FM. You can also stream the show live at WWSU1069.org, and we go Facebook Live at the Life Radio Show's Facebook page. If you have suggestions or comments, feel free to email thelife1069 at gmail.com. Overwhelms me. A brutal presence. Overwhelms me. A herd of goats and their guardian donkey.